Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams, starting with his debut in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. This episode features Revenge of the Sith, made in 2005. And here's your host, Jeff Cummings. As fall 2004 turned into winter 2004, John Williams braced himself for a very busy 12 months. On the docket were four film scores scheduled for summer and winter releases. This would be the same type of schedule he faced in 2001 and 2002, but this time he would be handling 100% of the composing and conducting duties. The first project he tackled was the most anticipated film of the year, the third and final chapter of the Star Wars prequel trilogy titled Revenge of the Sith. I don't recall a film that had such anticipation in the 21st century, and it bridged the gap between generations of those who had seen the original trilogy in theaters and those who were introduced to Star Wars with the prequels. And speaking of bridging the gap, the film would connect all the dots, or at least we hoped it would in telling how Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader. The task put before John Williams was immense, but he was just one of many involved in telling this pivotal part of the story. And I'm just one of two people who will be talking about this score today on The Baton. Joining me to discuss Revenge of the Sith is Andrew Ledford. Andrew, it's great to have you here. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me on the show. You're welcome. Give us a little background about yourself and your journey to becoming a John Williams fan. Well, I'm 20 years old, so I have been a musician for about 15 years now. And when I was a kid living in Texas, I took piano and drum lessons. I was about six or seven at this point and was just learning to love Star Wars. One day at piano lessons, I found a Star Wars trilogy piano songbook in a stack that my teacher had in her office. I said, hey, I watch these movies. I want to play this stuff. Naturally, I started with the main theme. And it was then that my mother made a deal with me. She said if I could play the Star Wars theme on the piano correctly with no mistakes, she would buy me the soundtrack CD for Star Wars A New Hope. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but it was that moment that would launch my adoration for John Williams and his music. It wasn't until early 2016 when I listened to Jurassic Park for the first time that I really started collecting other John Williams soundtracks. Four years later, I built up quite a hefty collection that's still growing all the time. That's fantastic. So we're recording this show in 2020, which is the 15th anniversary of Revenge of the Sith. And in that time, I've seen lots of opinions of the score. And what has really surprised me is how many people rank this score in their top three or four of all nine of the Star Wars scores composed by John Williams, higher than even one or more of the original trilogy scores. So I remember seeing a Twitter post last year from someone saying Revenge of the Sith is as good as the Empire Strikes Back score. And I really wish I had saved that post because I can call out that person here because I would never hold that opinion. So if I ranked the first six Star Wars scores, Revenge of the Sith would maybe, maybe rank fifth or sixth in a battle with Attack of the Clones. But where does it rank with you, Andrew? Well, Jeff, as much as I have a high respect for these scores for the original trilogy, I would have to say Revenge is probably number two, right behind Return of the Jedi. Wow. You rank this as the second best Star Wars score? Better than The Empire Strikes Back? I just can't believe it. But everyone is entitled to their opinion, no matter how weird it may be. 
I love both of these scores because being the last episodes of their respective trilogies, they have such high levels of suspense and excitement. The stakes are always the highest in the third of the trilogy, and you can tell just how high they are in William's scores for each film. I will say that my ranking for Revenge used to be a lot lower, but that was before I bought the Expanded Edition CD back in 2018. In fact, a lot of my friends and members of my John Williams Junkies Facebook group had the same opinion and ranked the score in their top five at least. So one reason why I feel this score doesn't hold a strong ranking for me is the lack of new thematic material in the score, something that I feel should exist naturally in Star Wars music. And much of the thematic material that originated in the prequel trilogy almost entirely disappears, including the awesome Duel of the Fates music that George Lucas wanted to use extensively in the film, and the love theme for Anakin and Padme. For Revenge of the Sith, Williams did create some themes for the film, but they don't quite pack the punch that they should have. And it's that lack of packing a punch that might explain why some of those new themes were left off the official soundtrack release. In this particular instance, I'll refer to two motifs. One, which I'll call Jedi on a Mission, is used for when Obi-Wan and Anakin make it back to Coruscant with the Chancellor, and later in the film when Obi-Wan lands on Utapau to search for General Grievous. The other new theme that we don't hear on the original soundtrack release is a neat little extension of the Emperor's theme, which is used in his attempts to lure Anakin Skywalker to the dark side, just as Anakin figures out Palpatine's true identity. It's not on the official release, but you can hear it in the first track of the soundtrack album for The Rise of Skywalker.
I'm going to bunny trail a little bit here just to add that Ian McDiarmid's performance as Palpatine in this film is absolutely phenomenal. He is really good, but his speech changes after he is officially revealed as Darth Sidious, and it creeps me out, but maybe that's the point. As was the case with Attack of the Clones, Williams did not receive a lot of the finished visual effects scenes in time to write new music for them. As such, a lot of reused music appears in Revenge of the Sith, much more than existed in Attack of the Clones. This reused music would mostly play under scenes that were finished after the score was recorded and Williams had moved on to his next project. The first such instance of reused music comes 16 minutes into the film when Palpatine's ship begins hurling toward Coruscant after it loses power. One of my favorite cues from The Phantom Menace, called Escape from Naboo, is pasted into this section. And a big opportunity was missed with new thematic material, or at least new music, for the big battle on Kashyyyk between the native Wookiees and the Separatist droid army. The cue from The Phantom Menace, called Activate the Droids, plays during the start of this battle. Now, Williams never wrote a theme for Chewbacca, and don't you think, Andrew, that this might have been a good chance to do so? I can't argue with there. Our pal Chewie probably doesn't get as much respect as he should musically. And, of course, he doesn't get a medal in the original Star Wars film, and he doesn't get any musical representation for any of the eight films in which he appears. Absolutely criminal. I will say that it was nice to hear that march from the arena scene in Episode 2 a bit more, as a good few minutes of the song was cut from that film. At the same time, I am interested to see what original material Williams could have contributed to the battle on Kashyyyk. That being said, it was revealed that Williams and Lucas had planned at the beginning to use existing music from each previous prequel. I suppose it was an attempt to keep us reminded that the war is still ongoing in the universe, but of course we already knew that. I do like the use of the Turning of the Tide track from The Phantom Menace that plays when Anakin lands Grievous' ship back on the Coruscant, which I think serves as a little nod to the fact that Anakin is still saving the day with his daredevil pilot abilities. But of course, the true victory of this film is given to Palpatine who becomes Emperor of the Galaxy. Out of all the prequels, his theme is much more prominent in this film. It is used sparingly in the first half, but is given multiple chances to shine as the film takes a hard right turn with Anakin's fall from grace. I think my favorite use of the theme is in that moment when Anakin is renamed Darth Vader. The theme is still sinister in tone, but triumphant in spirit. Palpatine's plan to seduce Anakin has worked, and now the Sith can begin to take over the galaxy. It starts in its usual G minor key, then shifts downward to F minor, which I thought was a nice touch.
It's the first true rendition of the Emperor's theme in the film, coming in at the 75-minute mark. Not using the chorus that had become synonymous with the Emperor's theme was interesting, but probably a good choice because of all the important dialogue taking place. And one of the new villains of the movie is General Grievous, who is mostly a droid but seems to have a beating heart to go along with a severe case of asthma. We never get an explanation for this in the movie, and you have to watch the Clone Wars animated series to know that, like Darth Vader, he was a human who suffered major injuries and got a cyborg exoskeleton to prolong his life. Williams has the most fun with Grievous, giving him a great 10-second fanfare on the low trombones for his first appearance in the film. Grievous escapes during a fight with Obi-Wan and Anakin, then shows up later on Utapau, where the London voices greet the exit from his ship with a salute in what sounds a little bit like Sanskrit. But the real high point of Grievous' musical representation has a lot of similarities with the fight in the rain between Obi-Wan and Jango Fett in Attack of the Clones. Williams writes a very brass-heavy action cue for Obi-Wan's preparation to fight Grievous that keeps the scene full of energy. It gets cut up in the film, but still retains a lot of its power.
lightsaber battle between Droid and Jedi brings back the music Williams wrote for Grievous, taking out the choral portion that we heard earlier in the film. With four lightsabers, we think Grievous has the advantage here, so it's perfect to have his themes taking center stage. The end of this fight with Grievous returns to the earlier urgent brass cue, now adding in woodwinds and xylophones, a recently added John Williams action music staple, during a brief chase before Obi-Wan finishes off Grievous. Now we'll talk about the big battle between Obi-Wan and Anakin later, but a lot of the action music that John Williams wrote for Revenge of the Sith is off the charts. The new style changes he had been employing in action scores over the past few years seem to fit very well here, especially when it came to writing music for General Grievous. I concur. I especially like the use of the percussion in this particular cue. It's really cool how John Williams and his orchestrators always seem to give each section in the orchestra their chance to shine. And it's one thing I've always admired about his scores. 
the one thing that I thought didn't play as much in the film as I thought it did was the force theme. Of course, this is Anakin's story, and every scene in the movie moves him closer to the dark side. So Williams felt the need to tone down the heroic force theme in favor of darker tonalities. There are some great renditions of the force theme, though, the first of which comes at the very start of the film. I will mention first that Williams once again did not record a new version of the opening music using the one he recorded with the London Symphony Orchestra for The Phantom Menace. After that, we pan down to a big starship with a pounding drum as we see a large starship floating over Coruscant. Two small fighters blast onto the screen and we hear the absolute very best version of the Force theme ever put into a Star Wars film, except maybe the binary sunset scene as Obi-Wan and Anakin fly toward Palpatine's ship in order to rescue him. For that first minute of the film, I thought this score was going to be one of the greats. The next five minutes, however, don't hold up as well. This space battle scene, which was one of the best created in a Star Wars movie, didn't need music. There's so much going on visually that our brain is working overtime to process all of it. And Ben Burt puts so many sound effects into the scene that it almost takes up the entire soundtrack. It's interesting that this space battle got music, but the six minutes following our Jedi's crash landing onto Grievous' ship has no music at all. Very interesting indeed especially since there was music written for those scenes. But you also have to bear in mind that George Lucas was constantly rewriting and revising the opening sequence, even in production. 
which might have been the ultimate reason a lot of the music was cut out. The music for the lightsaber fight with Count Dooku is one of the best bits of the score, and one I believe should have been in the soundtrack release. Well, to me, it's not the best battle music John Williams has written and seems to be filler music, which is odd for such a pivotal scene regarding Anakin's journey to the dark side. But, Andrew, why do you like this music? Well, I guess for me, the lightsaber duels are really the best thing about Star Wars, and John always manages to deliver exciting music for each fight. Though, I might just be saying that because I think John has almost never written a bad note in his career. <laughs> Another lightsaber battle I wish was included on the soundtrack was the battle between Palpatine and Mace Windu. The music in that scene really has the more sinister overtones that we've been waiting for in the score. I'm not saying the music has been dark before, but this is, to quote Anakin Skywalker, where the fun begins. The piece, titled I Am the Senate, starts off with trembling strings, giving us a temporary feeling of, what's gonna happen? And once Palpatine starts flying through the air to attack the Jedi, the strings fly with him with such a flurry of scattered high notes, while the brass plays the low notes, giving us that scare factor that I like so much about this score, as well as Return of the Jedi. The music is so dissonant and distraught, as practically everything in Anakin's story depends on the outcome of this fight, and I think Williams managed to pull off showing us just how high the stakes are.
The real reason people bought tickets to see Revenge of the Sith is to see the epic battle between Anakin and Obi-Wan. Nowhere in any of the movies that came out before this is there a description of how Anakin became the part machine, part man that is Darth Vader. So George Lucas had carte blanche to create whatever he wanted. That started with putting this battle on the volcanic planet of Mustafar, which just about everyone watching identified as the two going to hell to fight for the soul of the galaxy. George Lucas had told John Williams in 1999 that he wanted to use Duel of the Fates from The Phantom Menace for a part of the big finale of Revenge of the Sith, and I have a feeling it was for this battle. In a way, it would fit perfectly to highlight the dual nature of the friendship between Obi-Wan and Anakin that turned into a rivalry. Lucas never said publicly that this battle was the scene in which he wanted to use this music, but what other scene in the movie would work better? Maybe the fight with Dooku? On the DVD features of Revenge of the Sith, Lucas said that he told John Williams to write something new for this battle because it requires something much different from Duel of the Fates. I wonder if Lucas saw the footage and changed his mind about using a lengthy version of Duel of the Fates. Or maybe Lucas realized John Williams had to write something substantially new to promote. I'm happy he did because what we got was Battle of the Heroes, which adequately paints the picture of the interior and exterior battles taking place with these two. And if Duel of the Fates had been used, we might not have gotten a new theme for this movie. And coupled with the London Symphony Orchestra, the London Voices puts in a great performance of the melody that puts a religious tone into one of the most anticipated lightsaber fights in Star Wars. Though George Lucas wanted something different from Duel of the Fates, what we hear in Battle of the Heroes is structured in the same way as Duel of the Fates, a strong brass line opposing a noble French horn melody. The anger of the Sith in the brass and the quiet strength of the Jedi in the horns. So, alright, I don't know why the music from the Luke-Vader fight in The Empire Strikes Back underscores the battle between the Emperor and Yoda, and not some new composition featuring the Emperor's theme, for example. I have read theories that the fight mirrors Luke and Vader's battle in Cloud City, but it doesn't really. Yeah, it rather did seem like an odd choice when I first heard it coupled with the film. These are two people that are equally matched. The music from The Empire Strikes Back is a new arrangement in Revenge of the Sith, and the 30 seconds of quieter music before it is new. So, Williams had the time to sketch that part out with something more interesting.
I'm not going to say it's not completely uninteresting because I do like that part of the music from Empire Strikes Back. It just feels out of place. But that bass drum that you heard doesn't appear on the commercial soundtrack release, but it really adds to the weight of the scene. It's becoming clear that Anakin and Obi-Wan are evenly matched, and that is no more true than the awesome moment when they try to force push each other. This is the only appearance of the force theme in this scene, as each tries to use their non-lightsaber abilities to overwhelm the other. of the Fates does make his way into the score, coming in at the conclusion of the Battle of the Heroes composition, while Obi-Wan and Anakin take their fight into the heat of Mustafar, and Yoda's fight with the Emperor moves into the Senate chamber. It's not a new recording of Duel of the Fates, based on what I hear, so it feels like a space filler for this part of the movie, until Williams gives us a different variation on Battle of the Heroes, as Obi-Wan and Anakin teeter out onto a ledge.
watching this movie in May 2005 and then watching it a second time for this episode, yes, I have only watched this movie twice from beginning to end. Don't get mad. The big battle of Mustafar still gets me emotionally. The stunt work by Hayden Christensen makes up for his bad acting, and Ewan McGregor, as usual, is firing on all cylinders. You could feel the anguish at having to fight his former apprentice. And you could tell that John Williams had been looking forward to scoring this sequence for a long time because this is the musical highlight of the entire film. I definitely agree, agree with you there, Jeff. Although I think Christensen's acting in this film improved, if even by just a smidge. Lucas has been notorious for not being overly conversational about how to approach scenes as far as dialogue goes. But the music for this 15-minute sequence is the best fight music that Williams has written in quite a while. My favorite moment of the whole fight is right after the clones are searching for Yoda, and we cut back to Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting. The role of the timpani leads the transition into a G-sharp minor chord that just makes me punch the air every time I hear it. It's so powerful. Another equally powerful moment is the immolation scene, which is tear-jerking even without the dialogue. It manages to successfully convey the tragedy of a good man who has become evil and lost his best friend in the process. Here's the emotional high point of the track. The strings start to wail with Anakin as the flames engulf him.
Going back about 25 minutes of movie time, the scene in which all the Jedi across the galaxy are killed is equally emotional. I had always wondered how the Jedi were exterminated, and seeing them all die at the hands of stormtroopers is heartbreaking. Mm. Oh yeah. Williams puts this music into a minor mode and used the word sorrowful to describe how musicians should play it and how the London voices should vocalize. Perhaps the London Symphony Orchestra was not told which scene would go with this music, but surely they could feel how much John Williams wanted some of the most manly Star Wars fans to wipe away tears in this scene. I love this piece as well. It's another example of conveying how sad the situation really is. It's very reminiscent of Gustav Mahler's Sixth Symphony, particularly moments in the middle of the third movement. We get a little extra music on the expanded CD for this moment, called Anakin's Betrayal, for the moment when Anakin arrives at the temple to kill the Jedi younglings. You will notice that quite a bit of music in this cue is heavily edited in the film version, which leads us to wonder if that unused music was to underscore some deleted scenes of Jedi executions. Lucas's original scripts seem to lend credence to that theory, but we can only speculate at this point. There's a nice moment showing Yoda defeating two clone troopers who are preparing to kill Yoda, and quite honestly, I have to laugh at the audacity of these guys.
So I like the choice to use this music later in the film when Padme goes to Mustafar to talk some sense into Anakin. And when she realizes that he's lost to the dark side, this is perfectly sorrowful music that will play until Obi-Wan and Anakin begin their battle. While we're on the subject of Padme, there is a musical moment I want to highlight that gave John Williams a great opportunity to showcase his music. There's this really cool wordless scene after Anakin tells Miss Windu that Palpatine is a Sith Lord. Anakin sits in the council chambers, wondering if he should obey his Jedi Masters or protect Palpatine. At the same time, Padme is alone in her apartment, and she looks out the window at the Jedi Temple, seemingly trying to reach out to Anakin. Anakin is looking back at Padme's chambers simultaneously, and we see how the two are figuring out what happens next. For Anakin, it means choosing Palpatine over Padme. The music in this scene is so dark and mysterious, with the basses and cellos playing a low D, with synthesizers and a female voice lending a creepy ambience. The music here feels similar to what Williams wrote for the main title for Nixon, and it's almost a direct quotation of Hans Zimmer's music for the film Gladiator five years earlier. I'm referring specifically to the track Sorrow, which upon listening reveals that Williams was looking to contemporary composers for inspiration as well as legends from the past. And I've talked about this in previous episodes. I think sometimes directors put temp tracks into their edits and kind of to guide the composers and you know, I think George Lucas had used Sorrow to guide Williams to creating something there. Uh, but the female voice is not new for John Williams. He has relied on that female solo voice a lot since employing it in Amistad in 1998, then following up for AI and then Minority Report. And just incidentally, he's going to use it twice more in 2005. So I want to highlight one more cue that Williams wrote to great effect, and it's one that works very well with the visuals. It comes a little bit after Anakin has killed all the Jedi children and their bodies are discovered by Obi-Wan and Yoda. We get quiet female voices as Obi-Wan and Anakin wonder who did the killing.
And there's a quick cut to Anakin taking out the Separatists on Musafar, and it unleashes the male chorus with new words, supposedly from the same Sanskrit language used throughout the prequels. The music and the scenes will cut back and forth often, causing the different musical tones. Chorus returns here as Palpatine announces the creation of the Galactic Empire. And this is one of the few music cues that doesn't appear to have been recut during last minute edits. I listen to this cue often, titled Anakin's Dark Deeds on the soundtrack. There isn't any use of thematic material for Anakin or the Emperor, but it fits what we are seeing perfectly. I do love the use of the choir as Palpatine ushers in the Galactic Empire. It's one of those moments that Star Wars fans have been waiting to know about for so long, and finally, our waiting has paid off. It's almost as if the choir is saying, here it is! I will point out that although we don't get the Emperor's main theme, we can hear the ostinato of the little extension introduced earlier in the film. As Anakin slaughters the Separatists in the moose of our control room, we hear underneath the choir the brass playing a quick ACBC ostinato, a dark rendition of Palpatine's extension first played in F minor when Anakin learns that he is a Sith Lord. It's also worth mentioning that some of the music from Anakin's Dark Deeds is used by music adapter Kevin Kiner in the last four episodes of the final season of Star Wars The Clone Wars, as that story arc takes place at the same time as Revenge of the Sith. You can hear in the moments when clone Captain Rex receives the instructions to execute Order 66 and terminate Jedi Knight Ahsoka Tano, a former Padawan of Anakin Skywalker. There is an unreleased moment in between scenes of the soundtrack version of Anakin's Dark Deeds where Obi-Wan and Yoda are watching the security holograms. The strings and woodwinds are playing at a high frequency, in dissonant tones, with a low C-sharp note underneath. On top of that, the strings are playing that extension ostinato again, this time in C-sharp minor. It's a cool moment that really shows us that we can't really begin to appreciate how good John Williams' scores for the prequels are until you listen to the whole thing. You can only scratch the surface with a standard 75-minute presentation.
You know, your perspective on that scene in the Jedi Temple when Obi-Wan is looking at the security footage illustrates why some of Williams' music is much better appreciated away from the film. And in the case of almost all the prequel films, I think what Williams designed in his score to elicit an emotional response from the audience was largely diluted by the work of Ben Burtt, as well as the sound mixing department. I have mentioned in previous episodes discussing the prequel films that Burt and Williams had a bit of antagonistic relationship. Burt, as sound designer, wanted his work to blast through the speakers at all times, and Williams pretty much wanted the same thing. In the end, the music in this scene is almost unnoticeable in the final film, but you could definitely hear its merits on its own. And this would be the case for the re-release of the original trilogy for the first time on DVD. Uh, One specific example is the Battle of Yavin in A New Hope, where the sound effects take up so much of the scene, it's almost impossible to hear the underscore. So uh, not a lot of fans were crazy about that. Yeah. One last cue I want to touch on before we finish our discussion is the birth of the twins, which plays when Padme is delivering her children, Luke and Leia, hence the title, and also when Anakin receives his Vader suit, becoming more machine than man. The glistening harp arpeggios that play when Padme gives birth are very peaceful, as opposed to the rising crescendo of the strings and brass when the Vader helmet is lowered on the Skywalker's head. At once, the strings and choir descend into a rendition of the funeral motif from The Phantom Menace. A logical choice, as yet another great Jedi has fallen. Only this time in a metaphorical sense. It's still a powerful piece that seems to sympathize with Darth Vader, as he has learned that he was unable to save his love.
The motif is reprised a few minutes later at Padme's actual funeral, and when Vader and the Emperor are looking on the construction of the Death Star, followed by one final statement of Darth Vader's theme in G-sharp minor. It's a very sad moment in the Star Wars series, but one that needed to happen, especially because we already knew in the original trilogy that Padme was dead. And that statement of Vader's theme sneaks up on you in the bass before going front and center in the brass instruments. So when we started this episode, my views about the score to Revenge of the Sith were somewhere in the middle. Outside Battle of the Heroes, nothing that made me want to punch my air in excitement as it did for you, Andrew. But now, I really do appreciate how John Williams wasn't blatantly turning the screws on us, but using layers to highlight the complexity of what was transpiring. It could not have been an easy score to write when parts of the film weren't even available for viewing. Revenge of the Sith was the first Star Wars movie to gain a PG-13 rating, and it's well-deserved, especially for all the Jedi deaths and Anakin's near-death by fire. That rating probably interested a lot of people, and I'm not surprised that it made a lot of money, $380 million in the United States alone, to become the highest-grossing 2005 release here at home. But internationally, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was able to outdo Revenge of the Sith by a little less than $30 million, earning $895 million to Revenge of the Sith's $868 million. The critics liked what they saw, and you know you made a good film when the New York Times says it is, quote, on par with The Empire Strikes Back as the richest and most challenging movie in the cycle, end quote. But everyone agreed, as we do, that the dialogue was the weakest aspect of the movie, even giving Hayden Christensen another Raspberry Award for Worst Supporting Actor. Yeah, George Lucas has many strengths. Writing dialogue is not one of them. (laughs) We all wonder how he got an Academy Award nomination for original screenplay for Star Wars. But in terms of awards for Revenge of the Sith, that was the only notable award the film received. For the first time in the Star Wars franchise, the visual effects were not nominated for the Academy Award. And even though the Academy lifted its restrictions on nominating sequel scores... John Williams did not get a nomination for Revenge of the Sith. But don't worry, he still gets an invite to the show, and I'll talk about that in an upcoming episode. Revenge of the Sith did make an appearance at the Oscars, earning a nomination for Best Makeup. The soundtrack lost the Grammy Award to the soundtrack for Ray, and the track Anakin's Betrayal was a nominee for Best Instrumental Composition. It was nominated with the incredible end credits music from The Incredibles by Michael Giacchino, 
but the eventual winner was Billy Child for the jazz composition Into the Light. George Lucas was given the Lifetime Achievement Award by the American Film Institute a few weeks after Revenge of the Sith was released. John Williams was one of the people who spoke glowingly about Lucas at that event, saying to Lucas, quote, To have been in the orbit of your creation all these past years has been something to sing about. And just about everyone involved thought this would be the very last time Star Wars characters would be shown on the big screen. Timothy Zahn wrote a trilogy of novels in the early 1990s that included twins born of Han and Leia, as well as a female Jedi that once worked with the Emperor, and a successor to the Emperor that has Jedi powers. I remember reading these books and thought they were so fantastic that I thought movies would be made out of them. And though there is a female Jedi in training in the sequel trilogy, nothing else from these very popular novels was used. Revenge of the Sith would be the last time Williams would record a film score with the London Symphony Orchestra. This was the 12th original score Williams recorded with them since 1976, and after other recordings of previously composed music, the collaboration has now ended, unfortunately. The LSO would stay very busy over the years thanks to the scores by Alexander Desplat and Patrick Doyle, who have used the orchestra more than 20 times since 2005. So unlike his experiences in 2002, John Williams had a little bit of time after recording the Revenge of the Sith score in February. He didn't need to step into a recording studio until mid-April for his next score, which gave him about a month to write music. It wasn't a lot of time for composing, but Williams was able to handle his duties for Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds with relative ease. I'm looking forward to talking about that score with another co-host on the next episode. Andrew, this has been a very enlightening look at the Revenge of the Sith score. Thanks very much for joining me today and shedding some light on some aspects of the score that I never recognized before. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It's been an honor and a privilege to discuss the Maestro's work with a fellow fan. I had a blast. And as always, thanks to everyone else for joining us today. Please tell your friends about the show and be sure to post a review about the show on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, the baton is down. 